Good morning again. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning again. Oh, that's a little better. I'll take that. It's good to be uh, with you as we continue on with our series reset. It's never too late for a fresh start, and we're about halfway through. Um, as it's already been said, uh, you can catch up with these online, or also there's CDs available at guest services. So again, it's good to be looking at um, how to reset our soul. And it really doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're a convinced follower of Christ or not so inconvinced or in between. All of us from time to time need a soul, a heart reset. And that's what our series is about. We introduced it, and now we're starting to look at engagements that help us to lean into a reset soul to keep our soul reset, freshed, and growing. And so we are starting to do that. We're going to look at five areas. Last week we looked at our first one, uh, fellowship. And today we're looking at the fun one, disciplines. Woo-hoo-hoo! Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, thanks. That's what, just what I need, a, a sermon that tells me about the things I'm supposed to be doing. I don't need to really be reminded of that, but uh, we're going to find that uh, this is going to be helpful for our spiritual life, for our soul reset. Uh, I know a lot of us uh, know about the things we're supposed to be doing when it comes to exercise, when it comes to eating maybe a little less or eating a little different. Uh, whatever those kinds of things are in our life, right now I'm dealing with replanting my grass for the third time. And uh, the first couple times, I didn't really realize I needed to water it all the time. Now I am watering it. I am seeing some progress. But now my uh, mentor in grass growing has said, you could be watering it too much. I just can't win. So hopefully soon, I will have grass, and it will be just the way it's supposed to be. So again, being disciplined about those things. This time... Every night after supper, most every night after supper, I'm out there, you know, doing it, and now it's uh, too much. Now, now the thing about uh, discipline is we need to realize that it's often the things that no one sees that result in the things everyone wants. So as I'm traveling around my neighborhood, I'm right now really sensitive to grass. So when I see some nice grass, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder how they got that, and I wonder what they did to make that grass nice, and they probably, you know, spent some time on it. It just didn't happen, and uh, I'm just seeing the results, the external results. I'm not seeing, uh, you know, them watering it in the evening or whenever they watered it, what they planted, how they fertilized, and all those kinds of things. And the same is true with a lot of our disciplines. It's the things that no one sees, but then they want. Uh, you see someone, you bump into someone, and they seem to be, uh, you know, walking through life during these crazy times. They seem to have some balance. They're not oblivious to what's going on, but they don't seem to be unnerved by it. And uh, you don't see that in many of those cases, there's a person that in the non-seen times is uh, spending time with God. Uh, they're praying a lot. They're reading their Bibles. They're having a lot of uh, spiritual intake. And then you come across them, and you're seeing the results of that. And so it's the things that you don't see that everyone wants. You want the peace. I want the peace. I, I want to have that kind of bearing in life. And it's the things behind the scenes that, that you and I are really not, not seeing. Now, um, when the Israelites came back one of their times to Jerusalem, uh, we find them saying, they find Zechariah saying this to them. He says, he says, do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
And what I like about that is they were getting the temple going and doing some things, and they were neglecting some small things. But uh, Zacharias says, when, when you and I start to take steps into those disciplines, start to be mindful of those small things, even if it's a slow start, God celebrates that. We've got to begin somewhere. Sometimes we see how, where we want to end up, and it's just too far down the road, so we don't even start. But the Lord delights in the small steps. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's the small bites that eventually we can digest and get things going. But sometimes we stay back from that. Now, when God loves to see you and I engaged in the small things and disciple disciplines start in our lives, this reminds me of this guy. Every single day. Every single day. Look at that, a whole field of Tom Brady's. It's a beautiful thing. Every single day. Every single day. No matter what. Rule yourself. You are the sum of your training. Now, some of you just cannot get that out, out of your mind now. You're like done. You're like thinking about car and thinking about lunch and all those kinds of things. So I wanted to be a little compassionate and uh, let you see this guy who basically says the same thing. idea of rule yourself. I love this. In It's what you do in the dark. It's what you do when people aren't seeing you that in a sense puts you in the light, actually lets the light of Christ shine through you. And a lot of that all rises and falls on discipline, day in and day out, regular discipline. Uh, discipline uh, is doing what you don't necessarily want to so you can be what you want to be later. And it's those little things over a long period of time that actually begin to change us, especially from the inside out. I know in my own life, it's those little things. It's those things that others don't see that I'm disciplined about and that I continually, regularly do it 
All of us have different tra tricks for being uh, disciplined. Uh, some of us use our phone. Some of us put little reminders. Some of us put something on the mirror. Whatever it is, when those things are done and you don't really want to do, eventually you can find yourself uh, getting there. So it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's worth it. And when we think about our soul reset, when we think about our spiritual life, it's just the same way. It's in those little things. It's those things in a sense that nobody sees. Maybe you get up early in the morning, have some Bible intake, spend some time in prayer, maybe listening to something. Uh, you've got a long commute, and you, you know, listen to something, some podcast or whatever. Uh, you're praying. Maybe it's at lunchtime. You sneak out and get in your car by yourself, and, and you do that. And no one kind of sees it. They know you're going to your car. They really don't know what you're doing, but, but that's what you're doing. Or maybe you're a night person and it's, it's right before you go to bed. I'm, I'm not a night person, so when I'm ready for bed, I'm ready to sleep. But there are some that, you know, the last half an hour, hour of their day or whatever, they want to focus in and think about the next day and spend some time with the Lord. It's in those times where uh, nobody sees Nobody sees what's going on. Now, I want to dive a little deeper with our friend Michael Phelps, and you can see some of the things uh, that he does. Michael Phelps is a force to be reckoned with, but his dominance in the pool isn't just a physical attribute. Phelps' exacting mental standards and preparation propel him beyond other swimmers. I've never seen him be discouraged by anything. He can take it. Bob started you know, at a very young age to prepare me to be ready for anything and everything. One of the things that has been good for me, I think, besides training, has been my sort of mental preparation. When you have that kind of powerful brain stuff going, I think it translates into performance. Phelps has extensively trained himself to visualize and plan for both good and bad outcomes. And he will go through scenarios, what if things don't go well? You know, if my suit ripped or if my goggles broke, you know, what would I do? So he has all of this in his database so that when he swims the race, he's already programmed his nervous system to do one of those. And he'll just pick the one that happens to come up. If everything's perfect, he'll just go with the perfect one. If he has to make a change, he's got it in there. The added benefit of visualizing all of these different scenarios is the confidence gained from knowing he has a plan for everything. Bowman's computer analogy is apt. Because the different reactions are programmed into Phelps' mind, he doesn't have to worry about adapting on the day of a competition, and instead can focus on being the best athlete he can in the present. I still don't think I've ever reached my full potential. The thing that made him great was the work. The only person you can control is yourself. If you want something, you're going to have to go through pain, you're going to have to want it, you're going to have to work for it. The only thing I can control is how fast I trained up and down the pool every day. If I can prepare myself the best way that I can, that's all that matters. He assumes if he trains, he's fine. I think he's right. I think we're going to find that out. I like that. It's all in the work. He controls himself. He prepares for the good days and the bad days. Uh, I think he has won 28 medals, and uh, that's, that's the most. And he's won 28 medals, and... Uh, it's just, it's just amazing what he's done. And even in one of his situations, um, his, his goggles started filling up with water. But he had pre prepared for that, so it, he didn't miss a beat, and he actually won a gold medal. His goggles started filling up with water, and he had planned for that, prepared for that. He had made the investments, and he was ready. And the same way when you think about your soul and you think about a reset, preparing for the bad days, because they are going to come. 
And when you and I have a reset with our soul, when we're investing in that, when we're making those kinds of decisions daily, regularly, over and over and again, and we're engaged, not just checking it off the list, you can tell his heart is engaged. He's just not going through the motions that he is, he is ready. He's ready for those times. Uh, he's available. It's amazing. I think this is from when he was eight years old he wrote this. Mike Phelps, goals, or Mike's goals. I would like to make the Olympics. I would like to make a junior and almost already in, or in, all, in one event. I can't read his handwriting when he was eight, but uh, you can see that, again, he, he was goal-driven from the beginning. That doesn't happen by accident. And sometimes when we think about our soul, one of the most important parts of our life, uh, we think that soul health, soul recovery, whatever you want to call it, it's just kind of going to happen by kind of dancing along the surface, and that's not true. Uh, Mike Phelps had to eat 12,000 calories a day. I'd like to attempt that, but uh, this is just his breakfast, and uh, it said that if he didn't eat that food, he would lose five to ten hour, five to ten pounds a week because he was so active in what he was doing. This is a guy that is fully engaged. He is doing the work and the discipline. And again, to think that you and I would would excel, be the best we can be in an area without investing and being disciplined uh, is just just a a fantasy. It's not accurate to think that that's going to happen. If you want to have the spiritual reset, if you want to have the depth, last week we talked about fellowship, and you can catch up on that. If you're missing some of these points of engagement, it's just not going to happen. It's just just not going to be there. So, so, then, so then as we look at this, and now we all feel guilty, at least I felt a little guilty. I'm like, I don't want to, I would like to really show some guy that's like bobbing in the water and barely making it, you know, and say, there, there we go, that's me. But, but they're, they're, not, they're not videos. Well, maybe there's videos of those guys, but, but they're not celebrated. But uh, so, so why, the question is, why am I so inconsistent in whatever area it is? But especially if you're talking about a, a soul reset, why am I that way? Uh, Paul gives us a little bit of an insight as he's writing to the Romans in chapter 7. We're just going to hit a couple of the verses here. Uh, We see, uh, first of all, that I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I know there's been times, or actually there's been like regular times where, you know, I'll talk with Cindy and I say, this week I'm going to eat better. It's always like Sunday night after I've eating way too much, and I'm feeling full, and I go, man, I really couldn't eat anything more right now anyway, so tomorrow I'm going to start being better. I know what to do, and then the next morning, well, you know, Mondays is usually my day off, and I can cheat a little bit, and all of a sudden, it's right back to the same thing, and then it's like Friday, oh, next Monday I'll do better. So why, why, do, we, why do we do that? I realize that I don't have what it takes I can will it, but I can't do it. Uh, we look for little slogans, little uh, uh, proverbs, little things that uh, might help us, or we jump into a program, and we just wonder why it is not happening. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And whatever that area is, we've been there, we've felt that, but especially spiritually, sometimes we feel that way. 
And uh, we read on, and he says, The answer, thanks God, is that Jesus can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind. So we discover that he's looking at life and he's looking at the situations that he wants to see change take place. He, he knows what he's ought to do. He's getting the discipline idea, but for some reason there's a lack of follow-through and he's confused and uh, we can find ourselves in the same place. Uh, sometimes we're just looking for the right principle. And if we, have, again, that, that, that little slogan, that little mantra, then we are all set. And we get these slogans, and uh, they might work for a little while. Some people we might know work for, get a little more mileage out of it, but for whatever reason, we don't. So then we look uh, for a program, and especially when you get into this whole idea of getting physically healthy. You know, I get stuff, um, emails all the time from Noom, from this one, from that one. You know, and I go, wow, that could really go. Maybe I had to, maybe I try to try that program. They're saying, you know, eighty percent off. I'm like, man, I, you know, it's not the money anymore, you know. But there's a principle, there's a program, and what Paul is going to say is, it's not the principle and the program. Yes, those can be useful, but it really comes down to the person. It comes down to a person. It's the same way sometimes we see these uh, people that uh, seem to have deeper pockets than you and I, and they're trying to get their physical life uh, back on track, and they skip over the principle, they skip over the program, and they get like a life coach. And some of these people like live with them, help prepare their meals, go take them on workouts, and all those kinds of things. And we say, man, if I could just have a person. Well, if you've said yes to Christ, you do have a person. We talked about fellowship. We talked about three components of fellowship, and one of the components, one of the expressions of fellowship is fellowship with God. You and I do have a person. Uh, we read uh, just a little, or in Philippians, the energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. In other words, he loves to be a part of our lives. He loves to join us in our life, and he loves to help us along the way. He loves to be that person. And once you've welcomed God into your life through Christ, and you said yes to him, the Holy Spirit joins your life, connects you with God, and you have that person working with you, in you. And so then we can look at the idea of uh, spiritual disciplines and just start to think about that a little bit more. Uh, we read in Philippians, Now I think all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I love the fact that that word knowing isn't knowing about, it's knowing by experience. It's, it's experiencing God in your everyday life. And that changes everything. That changes everything. When you and I invest in what we're going to call spiritual disciplines, uh, we could take a look at prayer. We could take a look at Bible intake. Uh, we could look at generosity, all these things. And I'm not going to go through and define a lot of those. If your heart's really into, I'll give you one example towards the end. But if your heart's really into that, we've got a resource library, a resource center. Uh, we've got Right Now Media. You can go as far into that as you want. 
I don't have to convince you. I don't have to lead you to it. You can go as far as you want. It's in your hands. It's in my hands when it comes to walking with God, enjoying the person of God, and being involved uh, with uh, spiritual uh, disciplines. Uh, Cindy uh, gets together with the leader's wives, the deacon's wives, and they're reading through a book, and um, it's called Gentle Answers. And she, every once in a while, shares uh, little quips from it. Sometimes I find it next to my lazy boy chair where I spend a lot of my time doing my reading, and I see the book there opened or whatever. And uh, just recently, uh, this book by Scott Sauls, uh, this, is, this is what she said, and this, this is concerning, and I want you to really lean in, especially if you've been about our church life for a long while, you may find yourself relating to this. This is what he says. Somewhere along the way, both the scribes and the Pharisees lost their way. These are the religious people of Jesus' day. Rather than letting themselves be handled by the word of God, they presumed themselves to be the handler of the word of God. Goes on, says this. Rather than standing beneath the word of God, they started to use the word of God as a tool which to exalt themselves over other people and even over God himself. They were using God to control people and to manipulate others. I don't know if you've ever danced on the edge of that, where you stop becoming handled by God's word, when God's word, in a sense, stops really impacting your heart, speaking to your heart. Maybe you've been saturated by a lot of God's word, and, and that's good at one level, unless instead of being handled by God's word, you become a handler of God's word. And then you use it for other people, but you don't use it for yourself. One of the weeks I talked about and about being educated way beyond our level of obedience. I remember when I was in Bible college, one of the professors says, the danger of studying the Bible, God's Word, day in and day out, and whipping through these um, books and learning all about them, is you start to handle God's Word as a textbook, not the book. And all of a sudden, I found that that to be true. I could know a lot about it. I could handle it. I could explain it. But I wasn't being handled by it. I could read a passage really quickly uh, that could, should speak volumes into my life, and it didn't. Uh-huh. I just read it. Talked about that earlier about, you know, tasting food, and you eat it so fast that you don't even taste it. Same thing can happen with God's word. And so we've got to be very aware of that. So when we're thinking about all of these things of spiritual disciplines, they are a tool, they are a means to the end to having this vibrant relationship with God. And sometimes we get enamored with the tools, not what it can do inside us. You see, we need to remember that our relationship, your relationship with God, is meant to grow. You never arrive. Michael Phelps said that even in his training. He said, you know, I, I haven't made it. I still have to improve. If anyone could say, you know, I'm going to take some time off, it should be Michael Phelps. When Michael Phelps was in a five-year training session, he decided that he was going to train every day, not take Christmas off, his birthday off. Actually, I think on his birthday, he would train twice. 
And he said, most swimmers out there at least take the holidays off, at least take a day off. And he thought, man, I could get in 50 more trainings a year than everybody else. And so from that point on, they're all playing catch up with me. You see, he knew he was meant to grow in his discipline of swimming. And the question is, Christ follower, is do you understand you are meant to grow? I am meant to grow. I'm to be handled by the God's word, not to learn just to handle it. If you're thinking about deciding to follow Christ, you need to realize that it's not a one-and-done moment. Yes, you can say yes to him, uh, you know, place your faith in him and entrust in what he did on the cross, that he rose again, say, Lord, I want to follow you, come into my life. But that's just the beginning of the relationship. It's almost like getting married. You know, I did all this work to convince Cindy to charm her, to get her to marry me, and when we got married, that's when the work really started. She says the work hasn't ended wherever she is. She says, keep going, Dave, keep going. You know, it doesn't end. When it comes to our spiritual life, it's meant to grow. In the book of Hebrews we read, I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. And that's not to be teaching necessarily up here, you know, to a group of people, but your life should teach what it means to follow Christ. You should be teaching with your lifestyle. Yes, teaching with your individual conversations. Uh, it's not about just being a consumer. It's about actually growing so that you can teach. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that is not the case. Read on. Yet, there, yet here I find you need, need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Baby's milk when you should have been on solid food long ago. Read, milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. It's very cute when you're feeding a baby, when you're giving them a bottle, when you even, you know, do the little games with baby food. They'll open the, you know, I can't remember what they were, but, you know, you spin the thing around, their, their eyes are going, you pop it in their mouth, like, oh, you know, you get it in there, and that's really cute. But when they're 30 years old, that isn't cute. When they're 30 years old, that means something normally, that means something's wrong. That's the problem. And the same is true with us who have been following Christ, follow, or Christ followers. Some of us have been following Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and really haven't grown that much because we haven't invested ourselves. We haven't thrown ourselves in, in the, the dark time, in the silent time when no one sees what's going on. Uh, there isn't an investment in there. It isn't happening. And, uh, you know, let's see, uh, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about husbands love your wives and uh, we had all these great ideas, very basic, love her, emotional love. We had this idea, love her mind, intellectual love. This isn't in your message guide. Uh, we had this idea, love her body, physical love. We talked about all these kinds of uh, love, the agape love, and, uh, you know, love her uh, relationship, relation love, uh, 
love her humanity, realistic love, uh, love her calling, supportive love, and uh, love her maker, theological love. And at first glance, all that stuff seems just very basic, very, you know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, those are deep concepts to apply. They just, it just doesn't happen. Even last night, I don't know what it is with Cindy, but every time we get to the house and we're in the car, it takes her longer to get out of the car than me. And my car, I can't lock it until her door is shut. So every time we get there and, you know, the door has this little nice little thing, you just push the outside handle and it locks. But if her door is open, it doesn't. So last night, I was just about to say to her, when we get through the, the streetlight in Waterloo, we're like three minutes Start putting all your stuff together, because she does have more stuff than me. And when we stop there, pull in, you should be able to open the door, and you should be able to get out of the car faster than me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, yeah. There's a lot of things I should do. I should be carrying all the stuff. I should be, but anyway. But that's my point. That's my point. Love her humanity, realistic love. And then when I went to bed, she was still up, and you'll see these later on, putting together these little booklets and sticking these stickers on, and that's a reset as I went sleeping into La La Land. And I didn't say that to her because I realized as we're getting out of the car that I need to have a realistic love for her, and that's deep. And don't give me looks like that because you do these kinds of things with your kids, your spouses, too. I'm not the only one. This was the time I actually was smart enough not to say anything. So that is deep. That is deep. Now she's going to get out of the car even slower today. But anyway, just to, just to test me, to help me grow. But, uh, so when, I, when we're talking about a lot of these principles, at first glance, lover, human, humanity, realistic love, yada, 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 that's not deep. I wish, you know, it is absolutely deep. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. And so we, we need to be aware of that. And sometimes you and I, those of us who are, should be growing in our faith, be a part of that process, not being spoon-fed, bottle-fed, should get to the place where we can handle the truth. In a sense, by doing the truth. It's not by handling the Word of God, it's by being handled by it. And when I think of that, I think of this guy. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my... you don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. 
I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Now, all that's going on there, I wouldn't necessarily condone. But I do condone the thing that a lot of the times you and I can't handle the truth. We create distractions. We create other issues. So we don't have to deal with the truth of our own heart. That includes a lot of us because we handle the word rather than let it handle us. We read through a list from like a couple weeks ago, we, yeah, 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 but we don't apply it. That's where this stuff becomes deep, when it actually starts showing up. Jesus says this about himself. He says, show that you love me by obeying me, doing what I say. Spiritual disciplines, owning it, applying it, investing our life. We can't do our spiritual life like it's a side dish or an appetizer, and there's this other main dish that we feed off of, and we do these side dishes or desserts around the edges. Our spiritual life has to be the main meal, and that takes energy. And then just like Michael Phelps, uh, sometimes we take the main meal, but we don't exercise it. So just imagine how huge fat-wise Michael Phelps would get if he ate 12,000 calories a day but never got in the swimming pool. And sometimes, as Christ followers, that's what's going on. We read this in Matthew, but if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like the stupid carpenter who built his hand on, house on the sandy beach. If you've been around church world, you know that story about building on the solid rock, building on the sand. And when the storm comes up, the one on the sand collapses. The one on the firm rock stands. And it's all about building those concepts into our lives, just not knowing the answer to obscure biblical truth, which is great to know, but if it doesn't show up in our lives, it's mute. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a, um, what's the show? Do, 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 do. What's that show? Jeopardy. There's not going to be like a Jeopardy test, and I'll take, you know, Moses for 10,000 and, and all of this stuff. God's going to say, how did you live? You know about Moses, how did his life impact your life? How did it change the way you live, the way I live? So come on. Let's leave this preschool finger-painting exercise on Christ and get on with a grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust towards God. Different concept. We get to the point where we know all the answers, and yes, they're Bible answers, they're spiritual answers, but it's almost turned into self-help rather than God help. 
Developing spiritual disciplines will help you grow on your own. The same way we're happy that our kids are grown up and they feed themselves on their own. It's awesome that Sarah is married and in her own place and we don't pay any bills for her anymore. Same way with Hannah for the basically part. Keep her on our insurance a little longer because we can. Mariah, a year from now, she'll be teaching. Yahoo! That's a good thing. They're growing on your own. We never have to call them up and say, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you taking care of yourself? They do that on their own. And as Christ followers, we need to learn to do that on our own. It's our responsibility. Yes, we gather together, we get encouraged, we get sharpened. We talked about fellowship last week. But if all this stopped, let's say there was a pandemic and we couldn't meet for like 12 weeks or something, and the internet went down, would you keep growing or would you be dead in the water? I don't know. You tell me. You know. I know. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. That growing, that learning, that applying, that inside-outside change. When I was living among you, this is Paul writing, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. There's a couple kings in the Older Testament that had a prophet mentor speaking into their lives. And it's so sad that when that prophet dies, the king's faith seems to die. And one of the kings went so far off the rails that he actually ended up taking out his mentor's son because he didn't like what he was hearing. That guy's spirituality rose and fell on his mentor, not learning how to grow himself. I hope desperately, and then you say, what's the purpose of church? I hope desperately your spirituality is starting to rise and fall on you. Yes, there's fellowship, and we talk, you can go back, and so there's pieces of that, but it rises and falls on you. That if you couldn't be to church for six weeks, you wouldn't be a malnutritioned Christian. You would be still eating and still being satisfied. You have to come to terms with this. If you and I want a lasting reset of our souls, that's a part of the process. We read on. It says, when you spend time with God, these are some things to think about. And we're going to jump right down to them. I, this is not in your notes. It will be on Facebook later on. Also, that quote that I talked about uh, will be on Facebook later on. But I want you to think of this idea of soap. And this is very easy, but it's very explanatory. And this is this acrostic, uh, this idea of soap. When you're done today, uh, out at the doorways, there's going to be a little notebook, nothing fancy, with a little sticker on it. And uh, this is for you to actually practice this soap idea if you don't do it already. I've been doing something like this, and it's not because I'm anything special, for about 25 years. 
And I can go on and look at my, I don't call them soap, but I can look at what I'm going to explain to you and see my entries, my little, I don't know if it's a journal, but my little recordings of what I'm going to talk to you. So soap stands for this. First of all, the one is scripture. So on a regular basis, you expose yourself to some scripture. There's some Bible intake on a daily basis. Uh, you can pick up a Bible. We have them here. Uh, they're available at the entryways. Also, you can go online and get version on any electronic device and have any version Bible basically you want. So it's not because you don't have Scripture accessible to you. So you start with this idea of soap. And then the next one is O, and it's observation. So you read the passage, and then you observe. You say, wow, did anything speak to me? Did the Holy Spirit tug on my heart. And what's amazing for this is I've been doing this, again, like I said, going through the whole Bible over 25 years, is every time I come to a passage that I've read now 24 other times, normally there's something in that passage that speaks to my heart. It, I observe it. And so I take that, and then I um, apply it. That's letter A. I'm not seeing it in my notes, so you'll just uh, guess that there's an A. It's not soap. It's soap. Uh, so letter A is apply. Then I take that out, and for what I do is I come up with at least a thought for the day, uh, a paragraph for the day, and I say, what is God saying to me, or what can I say to God? And I write it down. Some of you can remember it. I can have all kinds of great thoughts at 4.30 in the morning, and uh, by 10 o'clock, I can't even remember what I read. So I write it down, and I, I put it on my, on my uh, phone as a calendar event. It says, thought for the day, and I read it throughout the day to remind me, to ground me, because I can drift so easily. So A is um, apply, and then we've got P is prayer. And this is a process. So, again, I'm going to encourage you. You don't have to have this notebook. Again, I do it all digitally, whatever you want to do. But I encourage you, if you want a reset of your soul, to add some of these processes. Because when you do, it changes your heart. I need heart adjustments all the time. I needed a heart adjustment last night when I was coming home. And God reminded me of some things. Heart adjustments. Also, he gives you direction for living. Sometimes you say, wow, I wish I had direction for life. I wish I know what to do. I wish you know how to respond and all this stuff. It gives you direction for living when you're investing in hearing from him. Um, also, we see that he's there during your problems. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I go a couple days without something that registers to me as a problem. I mean, there's little things, but then there's problems. But, but we're aware of it, and I'm blown away. I don't know how this works. It's miraculous. I'm blown away how I can be reading a passage. And again, I could, I could probably figure out what I'm going to be reading 10 years from now today because that's, you know, it's just the same over and over again. But it blows my mind how I can read a passage and the passage applies and fits for what I need that day, that problem. Just a few weeks ago, I had some problems. I'm not going to get into them. And it was amazing. The, the next day, the verses that I read spoke so clearly to those problems. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable that that, that actually happened. 
Also, we see how to spend time with God. Very quickly, I'm just going to give you the blanks for this. Uh, that means that uh, we make time with God a priority. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. We pick a time and we make time with God a priority. First priority. Not necessarily of the day, but your best time of the day. When you're most alert. When you really are engaged, whatever that time may be for you. Also, take the time regularly. I'm going to say, and this is going to sound hardcore, daily. Daily. Now, for me, I'll, I'll just, I read through the, the Bible four days a week. On Friday, I get together with a men's group, so that's my Bible intake for the day. On, um, on Saturday, I read it again. Sunday morning, I'm thinking about this message, so I don't. And then Monday morning, I take everything from the previous week, and I reread it and see if there's any recurring themes that God was trying to get my attention about. And then I write that down so I have a thought for a day, four days a week, and a thought for the week, one day a week. And I desperately need that kind of routine, that kind of rhythm, if I'm going to keep growing spiritually. And even with all that, I can get in the way of it. And then uh, just a, a thought you want this needs to be comfort rather than guilt. It's not about checking something off. It's not about, oh, I didn't spend time with God. I didn't know my spiritual. So now I feel super guilty. If that's all that's driving you, it's going to eventually drive you away. Or it's going to teach you how to read, how to handle the Word of God without being handled by it. And it's real easy to get good at that kind of activity that kind of action. So as we pull it all together, uh, our bottom line is this. Very basic stuff, but so true. I am what I repeatedly do. I am what I repeatedly do. I am what I repeatedly don't do. No more wisdom than that. And my no's make my yeses stronger. So there are going to be some of us that definitely have to say some no's to things so that we can make our time with God a priority. Can't do it all. You can't stay up all night. You know, stay up till 1130 every night and watch the evening news and then expect to get up early before work and spend time with God and be engaged. At least I can. I need at least a few hours sleep or my time's kind of wasted. You've got to say no to some things. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the way you demonstrate to us. Your son demonstrated to us. He would rise up regularly early and go spend time with you. If there was anyone who didn't need to spend time with you, it was Jesus. Yet he does that, not just for an example for us, because he needed to engage and be with his father. Lord, help us to sort through and see how uh, spiritual disciplines can become a part of our life. Help us to watch out and not avoid them. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.